Hey, it's Chris from The Morning Mix. I got to chat with author Paul Davidson all about his new book, Company of Foos. It's a fiction book, but it's based off of his real-life experience working in the tech industry. What I love about this is the whole book is sort of a commentary on our desire to work our butts off all the time and the feeling that we need to do that because that's what everybody's telling us to do. So it's a great book. Also, Paul's a great guy. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Paul Davidson. Hey, man. How, how you are doing? You? Good. How are yeah, you? Good. You get me. It's 830. You get me in a hat. I, I love it. Not video. Anyways, no, it's good. How, how, how's your world, man? It's good. It's good. It's weird. It's like uh, it's been kind of art imitates life, as you know. But yeah, so it's been good. It's all good. So uh, how are how you? Many, uh, I'm good, man. I mean, I well, I'm trying to think. Like, it's funny. I was just randomly watching the jams in one of the episodes like a couple months ago. I was trying to think. That was, was that? 16? Yeah, well, we, I think production was 15 and then it came out like spring of 16, like May of 16. So, and how, and how many years now are you doing this gig? So, I came back to the radio station in 19. So, yeah, 2019, I was doing nights and then I did afternoons and I've been doing mornings now for almost two years. Is it awesome? Do you love it? Yeah, it's amazing. It's, I mean, like, it's, (laughs) it, it is a dream come true in the sense of I've, always wanted to do it, but that was always one of those things where I was like, well, nobody's going to let us do it. But that was the same thing in the jams. It was like, we wanted to do this thing, but we're like, oh, nobody's going to let us do it. And then all of a sudden there you guys were. So it's crazy. No, I've just, I mean, since that I, so I left the orchard in 19, I was packaging some stuff, some projects together. Those things are perennial things that, you know, it takes forever. Yeah. Then I was running the entertainment division of a company called IDW. So Netflix's lock and key, Apple, showing Apple. That the, the comic book publisher com- publishing company and I headed the division and we were basically developing TV TV projects and movies based on awesome. comic books. It was awesome until May when they laid off like the CEO, the CFO, the head of publishing, all these crazy, you know, as a part of this whole strike and yeah. whatever. So um, it's been a quiet summer, but I've been, uh, that was at the point where I was getting gearing up for this book to come out. So I was like, fuck it, I'll work on that. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote some things I, I acquired. I haven't announced it yet, but I don't know. I don't think you're a child of the 80s like I am, but there's this movie called Electric Dreams um, with Virginia Madsen that I acquired the remake rights to. So I'm working oh, to move that you. forward. So I'm just I'm just doing I'm yeah. busy, man, and seeing what the next thing will be. You That's know? really, really cool. I, I didn't realize, because I knew, you know, when we first started to work with you guys, I mean... Um, so our mutual friend Terrence Gray, who I haven't heard from in a very long time, but at the time, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where he's at or what he's doing. Oh, okay, so it's not just us. That's great. No, no. <laughs> but he had connected us all, obviously, through the Orchard and then through the New York Television Festival. But at the time, yeah. I knew you kind of as like this. We didn't really know much about you. We knew it was like Paul from the Orchard. They like it, and they're in, you know. And then yeah, I remember, yeah. I think really because I wasn't at the festival originally. The first time I think we met was actually on set. In Chicago, was it? if I think you, I like face to face, maybe not on like a Zoom call or something. Didn't you? Didn't you guys both pitch it at the New York Times, the New York Festival? So was only, only only Jim pitched it. Um, okay. So yeah, Jim went solo because I couldn't go because of work. <laughs> and so then right. I remember, but we were both like, oh, whatever, that'll be a cool experience. Go check it out. And then little did we yeah. know. But the truth is that if not for that, I don't think I'd be doing this. Like I think you really? know, Why? yeah, I feel Why like that? it was an opportunity to showcase like, Oh, 
for Jim and I both, oh, these guys can do more and they want to yeah. do more. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like anything. You need someone to sort of champion you in that way. And you guys yeah. are certainly that for us. So it was it was great. That's awesome. I mean, it's uh, I was chatting with Jim. I periodically connect with him on Instagram. And yeah. He's, you know, he's he sounds like you guys are still super tight. And yeah. he's, you know, trying to be creative while doing his other stuff. And that's the thing, man. It's like it's all of all of us. Look, if I could just solely be producing and writing stuff. Awesome. Yeah. But you got to we're all on that line. We're all standing, waiting and continuing to try to try to stay as passionate as possible. You yeah. Know? I think, too, um, like for us, it was we've really been purely on the creative side of stuff and then not totally sure how things even come to be. Like we still don't have an understanding of what happened with the jams. Like we have no idea how did it get on Netflix? Like we never understood. We would just get a call that was like, it's going to be on Netflix. We were like, this is great. Okay. See you later. Well, I mean, that was just us, me and my team pitching places to get it at home. Now, I, now currently it's on iTunes. Yeah. It's I don't on- know where, it's on Apple and like Prime Video, and and I think the YouTube you can buy it on YouTube. Um, does anybody? Does you ever? Does anybody like if people seen it? Like the people you work with, the people like do people c- come across it? Yeah, these people. Days? Yeah, every time. Um, I I mean I never really lead with it because you know oh by the way <laughs> we had this thing, but <laughs> right. you, you know at the time and because I'm back at this company, so I worked here from 08 to 16, and that was during production right. of the thing, and that this was sort of yeah. a a big uh like inspiration behind it um when i came back then there's like a new crop of people here who have learned about it so some of them have watched it or been like i'm gonna get to it man i swear you know that kind of thing (laughs) Um, but every once in a while somebody random and it's generally the younger folks that start here in more entry-level roles who hear like oh when this guy was an assistant he did this thing um and so then i think those people get more motivated by it oh let me check that out let me see what that was um, it was very well. It was very well done, even today. To look at it, like it really, you know, I periodically come back to those things that, like, we produced a bunch of those kind of things. It was like maybe because it's always timing, right? Yeah. Like, well, is there some like if I'm still at the Orchard, which then became 1091, which is then bought by Chicken Soup for the Soul, which was then bought by some other company? Yeah. Like where it all sits in the ownership side, right? Not for me to decide, or ter- maybe Terrence if he was if he was interested, but. You, you never know like especially you look at like what freebie is doing yeah all of these like who knows someone could say that's a that's those four episodes are like the perfect example of like here's you want a wkrp you want a news radio for today like here it is that's so, what we've always felt we, like, we've, we are so proud of it obviously and it turned out yeah. really really well um it is a yeah. funny thing because we were did you guys just like take a bath on that like we have no idea i mean i assume yeah, I mean, you know what did it cost us? Like we put in, <clears throat> we put in most of the money for it. I want to say it was like $150,000. Yeah. That's I remember then, somewhere around that or two, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I remember like Terrence, I get a call from him every couple of weeks. Like, Hey, can we have another 10, another 15? Um, <clears throat> and then we licensed it. So you license it to Netflix. Yep. That wasn't much. Maybe that was $30,000. Yeah. So there wasn't, it was one of those things like also the CEO of the orchard went to college with Terrence. So, he he Got like it. wanted us to try to work together and i had i love what terrence had been doing so it was kind of like a it's just a flyer yeah. like let's it, what it's 150 grand it's not that much in the larger scheme let's go try it and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but it, it by the way it gets your name out the company's out there we're working with meeting new talent like yeah. you, it's so interesting in the entertainment industry people 
so people who don't understand it like to say, well, let's look at this one thing and see, does that generate profit? But by the way, you could take a bath on a, like acquiring some movie from a first time director and then you have a relationship and the next one is a huge hit yeah. and you're creating, it creates a halo effect. Even just the announcement of doing the jams or acquiring a movie suddenly gets more people interested in working with you. So you can't look at it as a one, one and done right. financial thing. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Well, and like yeah. I said too, uh, for me, I mean, my wife and I moved to LA right around then after it had come out and she's right. an actor. So we were like, Oh, this will be great. What an opportunity. And we were, we didn't have kids yet. We were um, only had been married a few years and we were like, you know what? We need to change. We've always wanted to do this. So for that reason, like it was great. And then that ended up being probably the best decision we've ever made because you learn so much about yourself and you grow and, you know, going to L.A. And then you were so gracious in L.A. We met up a few times and um, yeah. and you helped me kind of meet, get some meetings going, which is really great. And and that did all, I did I do that? I did. Yeah, we met and then you had introduced me via email to some folks. And right. like I ended up at, I had meetings at like like TBS and Comedy Central and stuff like that. That never would have happened without the jams. Right. And, and so right. that was great. And then when I ended up, I started writing for an ad agency and I worked for Ryan Seacrest for a while. And it was all in the mix because we had this thing that you could point to that was like, oh, well, here's kind of either proof of creative talent or proof of, you know, being yeah. able to take something and create something. So for me, I think the whole thing has been, um, you know, really a great blessing in terms of just moving forward. That's and awesome. it's, it's a nice thing to say at parties. Like, oh, by the way, there's this thing over here. You know what I mean? Like, why not? <laughs> my show, my show's on Apple. Go yeah, yeah, go out. check it out. It's on Apple. But now yeah. um, you've got a brand new book. And uh, it's funny, when you had first mentioned to me that you had written a book, I thought like, oh, oh, this must be like a nonfiction. It must be, you know, like a memoir or whatever. And then as you guys sent stuff through, I was like, oh, wait, never mind. This is really cool. So you kind of took life experience, <laughs> because, though. Because nonfiction would have been a fucking snore. Right? <laughs> uh, I, I actually, it's funny, like I've, I've always been creative in that way. I wrote two nonfiction humor books when I first was here in in Hollywood, one was called Consumer Joe, where I wrote these crazy letters harassing corporate uh, corporations. Yeah, and it was just the back and forth of ridiculous shit. Like I I write FedEx and say like I saw um, Castaway and I'm really concerned if I send a package and your guy lands on an island, he doesn't go through it. Right. They, so back and forth, where they're like, well, if there's food in it, we hope that you'll be okay with him eating it, and we'll deal with it later. But I did like a whole radio tour on that. I did a book called the lost blogs, which were like, what if historical figures had blogging technology? So, and I did a fun, fun stuff with that, but I'd always wanted to get to fiction stuff. So I released a fiction novel last, um, last April called the small stuff, which was kind of like, but like 500 days of summer kind of thing. Yeah. And then, and then I had written, uh, are we, rec we're just talking or are we, what are we oh, doing? Oh, I'm just are recording. I've, I've been recording. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So I figured we'll just roll right into it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, um, Look, I worked at, before I worked at The Orchard in Hollywood, I worked at Microsoft at Xbox. And um, I, I was actually in Hollywood. I was writing. I'd sold a movie to Disney. I had gone through all this crazy development hell. You know, like I had, we had sold with some partners a show to ABC right after Lost had become a huge success. And it was about a, a jury. It started on the first day after a case had ended, a sequestered jury. And they were all, it was like about their lives and flashing back to the case. And I go through all these insane conversations. Like ABC's big note was, does it have to, can you lessen the legal aspect of the show? And we were like, it's about a jury. But can it be more like Grey's Anatomy? And we're like, really? Like, so 
I had gone through, I was constantly, I was selling stuff. It was great. And then like all at once, like my wife was, she's in publicity. So some of this, some of the stuff in the book is inspired by what had been going on with us. Yeah. She decided she was working publicity in Hollywood and she was kind of done. And she, and so we kind of, it was like a fresh start. Not unlike you, you know, you deciding to go to LA at yeah. one point. And so um, I got a job heading up or starting, you know, at, at the bottom at Microsoft kind of being their guy in charge of movies and television, movies and television service at Microsoft, kind of like what iTunes is, but they have on Xbox still have it today. Right. I was there for five years. I, you know, I ascended the, the corporate ladder. It was quite an experience. I mean, working in a tech company like Microsoft is, is, is like a cult at times. It's um, a community. It's, they kind of set up the whole, the whole campus of these tech companies so that you never want to leave. So, like in the book, like there's it's very much the culture of Microsoft is the backdrop of a fictional story yeah. in, about a, a, you know, a family man moving, moving for his dream job, which turns out to be a nightmare. While his wife also finds herself stuck in this suburban fri frigid wasteland. When we moved there, we moved there in December. It was dark, 25 degrees, and you didn't see anybody in the neighborhood for six months. Nobody would ever come. They call it the Seattle freeze. Like when you first move to Seattle and you're oh, not from there. Yeah. You rarely. Well, people don't even reach out until maybe it's super sunny out, which is basically July 1st, to July 28th in Seattle. Um, but so it was it was a great experience. It was a crazy experience. And at the end of it, when I left to come back to Hollywood to run a film company, which is how we all met. Yeah. Um, I decided to write a book inspired by it. So I wrote it and then I sat on it because I was like, I don't, I don't need lawyers in my business. It's not like I was like revealing any trade secrets. It's all, yeah. there's nothing in there that anybody can use to that extent. But um, I wanted to give it time. And so finally, over the last year, it seemed like the right time. And so that's that's the backstory of it. Yeah, it's funny. It feels also like uh, culturally almost the right time. So much of what I see now, and I think, I, you know, I'm officially a millennial age-wise, right? Like whatever yeah. that number is, like 1980-something to like 1990-something, but... I'm 85. So like I <laughs> but we've got a big conversation right now about like work life balance and that sort of thing. So the timing like reading about the book and thinking about culturally what people are focused on right now and the fact that we came out of covid where a lot of folks were like, "Oh wow, wait a second. I kind of enjoyed putting more focus on my personal life as opposed to uh just being focused at work." And that sort of just short thing you said about them making places so you don't want to leave and the idea no, of like, I mean, like oh, we have ping pong tables and pool tables. It's fun here, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of insane. Like they have, they have this area at Microsoft called the commons. It's the, it is the place that everybody will gather when you're not in front of your computer. And it's, it's bookstores, it's bike stores, it's legal advice, it's hair salons, it's um, the food. Like there's a whole thing in this, in the book about the salad bars, like the, the, the amount of choices yeah. that you're given. So you never, ever want to leave is very true. And it, this is the case that, you know, I've been to Netflix many times here in Los Angeles and they have vending, free vending machines on every every five feet where you can just go up and get whatever you want. Oh, you need that that new earphones for your iPad. Yeah, they're or right you there. you need an extra extension cord. You go to the lunch area every lunch and there's tables filled with half a dozen, you know, opportunities to eat from local restaurants. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, it's not just like donuts interest. and granola. It's like burgers and oh. subs and salads, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's everything. And so that's the cultural, the, the, that's what these tech companies have brought to our culture. And, 
you know, it's you, you kind of get it's like um, clockwork orange. It's like they, you know, hooked up your eyes. They sat you down in front of a hypnotic screen and then you're like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, my God. I it's, love you this. Know, it's like being trapped on a desert island and you find some old crackers that are like 12 years old. and You're like, these are the most amazing crackers I've ever eaten. We should eat these all the time. Why haven't we been eating these? Did you find that? It's when like, you... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go. No, 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 no. I was going to say when you came back to the book post pandemic, like post all that stuff, having written it years ago, did you have to go in and change or was it more relevant than ever when you went back to it? Man, other than like changing out a name for maybe a Taylor Swift or, you know, got to yeah. keep, got to keep the Swifties, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's, I have to say there's many secrets about Taylor's past relationships uh, weaved in throughout the story. That's how you um, sell books, my man. That's, that's right. No, there was ironically not a lot that I had to change because it's it, all that happened over the last five years is tech companies have become bigger and bigger. These monolithic entities that are even more ingrained in our day to day entertainment and nothing's changed. All that's changed is like more people who were from that traditional Hollywood background are trying to figure out how they can uh, position themselves to get a job in tech. Because yeah. everybody wants it on their resume. So it's, it's, uh, so, you know, so I took a clearly like artistic liberty in building a story about this. It's very much like the Devil Wears Prada set in the world of tech. It, you know, if you liked Silicon Valley, if you liked, you know, movies like that, books like Devil Wears Prada, it's, it, it lampoons the ridiculousness. I mean, a lot of people say, what, what does the title Company of Foos actually mean? And aside from playing off of the, the the phrase "company of fools," right? There's this there's this word that engineers use in tech companies. This is crazy. Like my first day I was there, I walked into a meeting, um, and what's funny is, and I talk about this in the book, you start and they give you a laptop, and you open up the laptop, and you think, okay, I'm just going to set this thing up. I'm going to kind of slow roll this thing, and you open your email, and you've got like 800 emails. You've got your schedule is packed already. They have already started to tell everybody months before. This is when he's starting. Yes. This is what he's in, you know. So you walk into a meeting and they're like, all right, Paul, what is the marketing plan for Foo? And you and I'm like, well, what's Foo? And they're like, well, Foo is the name of a product that we haven't thought up yet, but we need the marketing plan for it. And you're like, <laughs> what? You're like, wait, wait. How so there's no product. There's no product. How do I come up with a, a marketing plan for something that nobody's invented yet? Well, we know it's going to fill that entertainment category. So you know who the audience is. So what's your marketing plan? And this is insane. Like they, they do that kind of thing. So that's where the title comes from. There's another thing. It's it's literally it's it's like who's on first that old Abbott and Costello thing. They yeah, have yeah, this yeah. thing that they call the ORP. O A R P. You come into a meeting room and you're about to start working on a project, and they write O A R P on the board, and they say, "All right, here's what the O stands for: owner. A stands for approver." Um, R stands for reviewer and P stands for participant. Everybody in this room is going to fill one of those categories. And then it's a question of like, okay, well, I'm the approver, but I'm not the owner. So does the owner approve the product? Yes, the owner approves the product at the end of the day before it ships. Okay, but I'm the approver. When, and then I'm the reviewer. How am I different than the participant? Well, the participants right. will, re will review it also, but they're only passively participating. You're the reviewer. You have a more active... I mean, this is like yeah, the insanity so like, of some of these things. Power is given and then taken away at every level. <laughs> I think what's funny. Like, yeah, good. No, it just feels like uh, that. I don't know. We had this experience. We we moving from the Midwest, Chicago. I mean, we're in Chicago, so yes, it's Midwest, but Chicago is 
the third market. Like, you know, it's not like we were in Sleepy Nowhere Town or something like that. No offense to you if you live in Sleepy Nowhere Town. Yeah. But, no. like, I, we moved to L.A., and it was different. I mean, moving into an, a, a city where, like, the culture was different, um, both positive and negative, what people were interested in, what people wanted to talk to you about, and that experience of being at a party where, like, I'm talking to you, but I'm looking past you for the better person to go talk to. Yeah. But I think within even what you just described, there's relatability in any industry, no matter where you live, that this sort of thing happens. So the relatability factor, I think, is so high because we've all been in dumb meetings. But then also, <laughs> the stuff you just described, thinking of it from the consumer standpoint, I'm like, oh, they don't care about me. Like, they don't. They're going to convince me to buy this thing no matter what. Whether the, so they don't even need the marketing plan. Like, just make it cool, and now I have to have it. You know what I mean? It's so, it's so much of the data. And, you know, I mean, you, your point that, like, this, this happens everywhere. If you've ever had a job, if you've ever, <clears throat> you know, for the protagonist of this thing, it's, um, you know, a guy jumping into a job in a culture that is completely foreign to him. Same with, you know, the, his wife, Jess, landing, suddenly not having that identity of having a job and how you cope with that. But, you know, this concept of, you know, I just talked to you about, like, the kind of development notes you'll get in Hollywood. Like, I wrote a movie about an intergalactic dictator who crash lands in middle America and has to take a job as a substitute science teacher while he's waiting to get rescued. <laughs> and the, a lot of the development... <laughs> Nobody steal that idea. Yeah, a stop. Lot of the <laughs> stop. Don't write it down. Um, a lot of the de one of the development notes from major uh, producers was how because he loses his powers. Think of like Darth yeah. Vader in the Force. He lands on Earth. He doesn't have the powers for some reason. He passes <laughs> through the Earth's atmosphere. You know, you're making it up. The producers are like, we don't believe that he would lose his powers by passing through the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> And this is how I start the book because it's like it, it's ludicrous, but it's just as ludicrous as Orp or Foo. Right. Like it doesn't matter where you're at. Like you at your job at the station. Oh yeah. I'm sure you sit in meetings and you have. It, we all have these ridiculous. Doesn't matter what. Like I imagine the people who there's some family out there that created highway reflector dots. Like they're making money off of just manufacturing highway reflector dots. They sit in meetings and have ludicrous conversations about all aspects of this business. And they go home and they're like, why the bleep am I talking about the sheen on this thing? It doesn't matter. Like, put them on the highway. That's all we need shine. to do. Like, yes. Right? <laughs> My brother works in food packaging, and he'll tell me about the conversations they have about, like, well, how do we keep the fries from not being so moist after 25 minutes? It's like, what? <laughs> like, just eat them, you know? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the book is Company Company of Foos, and uh, it's coming out very soon. Is it is it available? Uh, it's in, available as an ebook, right? As well? It, no, it'll be available on October seventeenth um, uh, as a paperback, as an uh, ebook for your Kindle, as well as an audiobook, all on uh, October seventeenth. Do you yeah. do the audiobook yourself? I don't. I don't. I hired somebody who's far better than I am to uh, do all of the voices and things like that. But yeah, it, out, and it, you know, if you, you have Barnes and Noble near you, you can go to Barnes and Noble. You can ask them to order it if they don't have it on their shelves. So it's everywhere that you buy or peruse your literary uh, masterpieces. And then are the other books you referenced, uh, those are available still too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the small stuff was the fiction novel I wrote last year. That's available everywhere. And then Consumer Joe is the book of insane letters. The Consumer Joe harassing corporate America one letter at a time. 
and the Lost Blogs. Yeah. From Jesus to Jim Morrison was the other one. <laughs> I'm going to pass that to the classic rock guys here when they're done. Thank you so much, man. Hey, it's really great to just connect with you again after uh, a few years. So thank you for setting this up. This is awesome. Uh, and I'm pumped to read the book. I can't wait. I love it. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. You're so welcome. Thanks for taking the time. This is great. Appreciate it.